And one other, one other thing to add there, um, I think to really bring it to a head, what that also means is we actually have annual recurring revenue, which as a business guy is like, uh, that's the goal, right? Is find where autonomy can work now, where the product that can integrate and be flexible and, and enable that autonomy and actually make some real money off of it uh, yeah, because our customers right make money. Are happy now. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer, the author of Ludacris, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors, and your solo host for today's episode of the Atonicast. The Consumer Electronics Show is a fantastic opportunity every year to take the pulse of the autonomous vehicle space. And this year, it probably comes as no surprise to listeners of the Atonicast that the mood was somewhat glum. Um, the trough of disillusionment that we've discussed many times here on this show uh, has been taking its toll as and uh, expectations for autonomous vehicles uh, have been affected. One company, however, uh, does not seem to have been uh, extremely affected by this downturn in optimism about self-driving vehicles. This is a company we've been talking to for several years now. Um, and uh, they're very interestingly positioned because, as they say in this episode, uh, they are in the autonomous vehicles are not quite ready enough business. Uh, that's because this company, Phantom Auto, is in the business of teleoperation. Teleoperation or remote operation or remote guidance is increasingly becoming an accepted part of the autonomous vehicle stack. It was once seen as something of a dirty little secret that autonomous vehicles needed to be connected to human guidance or human control or human oversight. It implied that the technology wasn't ready or was immature, but increasingly it's becoming uh, clear that this is just something that autonomous vehicles need, especially when you take the driver out of the vehicle. Um, if, if not for autonomous driving purposes, then certainly for consumer uh, experience, user experience purposes, having that human touch in a driverless product is extremely important. To help us understand the importance of teleoperation and why it's becoming increasingly accepted by the autonomous vehicle space, I spoke with a number of the top leaders from Phantom Auto, one of the leading companies in the space. Here is that conversation. Hey, Elliot. How's it going? Good. How about yourself? Uh, you know, it's, it's late in CES, so I'm, you know, a little... A little worn down, but um, you know it's always fun. Um, always fun hanging out with you guys, and always fun um, seeing what you're up to. Um, this year, in particular, uh, is is really interesting um, because you know, uh, well, over the last couple of years, we've really we've seen uh, you know CES is sort of where you get the take the pulse of of what's going on in in the autonomous vehicle automated driving world, and uh, and it's been like a couple of years of like the hype sort of waning a little bit, right? And, uh, and this year, it's like, it's, it's really starting to hit home and you're seeing all these companies talking about pivoting to ADAS and all this stuff. Um, but you guys all are sitting here with, with big smiles on your face. I don't, I don't sense that uh, the, the guys at Phantom Auto are, are too worried about this, uh, this sort of new, um, what, more realistic view of autonomous vehicles. Um, can you, I mean, can you explain why, why you, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we are huge believers in autonomous vehicles being a huge net positive for society. Uh, but we also believe that to actually deploy autonomous vehicles, 
every type of autonomous vehicle, every type of form factor, robot, etc., needs to have some form of human oversight or intervention. And we specifically have a product now that's vehicle agnostic, hardware agnostic, application agnostic, and that enables all forms of remote operations. So we enable remote monitoring, we enable remote guidance like telechoice or path planning, and also remote driving. So certain types of vehicles in certain situations, like our public customer today, Postmates, they are uh, driving a small delivery robot. It's going a few miles per hour on a sidewalk, obviously transporting goods and not humans. And so in certain situations, it makes sense for them to remotely drive. Whereas for other customers with larger form factors, it might make more sense to do some form of path planning or telechoice. You know, I mean, yeah, and that that just fits in so perfectly with um, a world in which, you know, I think a lot of companies are feeling pressure to get cars on the road, um, obviously already testing and all that. Um, but but to kind of do more deployments, even though, you know, they still have a lot of of technical challenges. And it just seems to me that the teleop is just like it's insurance, if nothing else, like at a, at a bare minimum, it's like. You know, if, you, if you're operating this, these complex things and there's going to be unknown unknowns, like when things pop up, like you, you do, as you say, you kind of need to be able to to see what's going on and, and sort of respond to that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are in the autonomous vehicles don't fully work yet business and we want to work with everyone. That's why we've created a product that's broader than just um, serving robo-taxis or trucks or shuttles on public roads. It's also about deploying you know, forklifts and yard trucks in a confined environment or delivery robots on, on sidewalks. And we think it's very important that um, the way that, let's say, some regulators look at this piece is basically what you just said. If you have an autonomous vehicle or a fleet of autonomous vehicles that's you know driving all around the country, you at least want to have real-time eyes on those vehicles, the ability to remotely monitor and know what's going on. And then in the event that something goes wrong, we are that backup layer um, so that if you need a human intervention, whether that's you know remotely driving if it's a smaller form factor or remotely guiding path planning or telechoice if it's a larger form factor, we can be that. And, and this is the difference, in our opinion, and in many people's opinions, between being able to deploy uh, versus just, you know, having a good um, demonstration you can show in a, in a very set environment. You, you guys have been on the show before, but uh, actually, I think, Ellie, have you been on twice? Uh, just once. Just once. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but so so I'm I'm sure some of our listeners will be real familiar. But like for those who aren't, can you just sort of briefly explain sort of how you, how you do this? Yeah, sure. So we have our, the new product that we birthed is the Phantom Core SDK. And so, again, what we're doing here is we're, we believe that we are selling the pickaxe to the gold miners, right? But when we first came out of stealth, our pickaxe was specific to robo-taxis, trucks, and shuttles, basically AVs on public roads. And what we quickly realized is for all autonomous vehicles and robots to be deployed, they all need some form of human oversight or intervention. And so we created the SDK. So now that we have this flexible product that, again, is vehicle agnostic, hardware agnostic, application agnostic, that can be utilized by 
anyone who's de- who's deploying autonomous vehicles, whether that's on a sidewalk, on a public road, small form factor in a confined environment. In terms of technically how we do this, I'll hand the microphone over to uh, Jordan and he can kind of walk you through the new product. This will be new for the people listening to the show. Yeah, cool. Um, hey, so Jordan Sanders, hey, Jordan. Uh, Director of Business and Operations at Phantom. Um, so yeah, no, and as Elliot said, the Phantom Core SDK is kind of uh, has been a product evolution. And one thing that he said earlier is that you know we've uh, we've broadened ourselves. The way that we've broadened our addressable market and the near term addressable market is actually by narrowing the product. So when we came out of Stealth two years ago, we knew what the whole market w- was, you know, beginning to think um, is that uh, autonomous vehicles can only be deployed with human oversight. So I think we were preaching the gospel of teleoperation to the market. And our product at that time, by necessity, uh, somewhat uh, reflected that, right? Because we were actually having to help more customers. Uh, They were just thinking through the teleoperation. What does this mean? How does it work? How does it integrate? Um, you know, we're providing hardware to them. We're providing the software for the connectivity. Um, we're, you know, customizing user interfaces for the operators. Full end-to-end. Yeah, it's an end-to-end solution. Yeah, that's what it was. And um, because we were in the market and working with customers in the robo-taxi space, in trucking, in delivery robots, what we saw um, as we worked with more customers is that the core, you know, our, our core competency and what the customers wanted from us was that connectivity layer, was the real-time eyes on that moving thing, whether it's a robot, whether it's a you know, truck, uh, robo-taxi, whatever it is. Um, and so by the, what the Phantom Core SDK is, is really... Um, an integrable product on the vehicle side. So it's, it's hardware agnostic. We can work, say, on Intel platforms and on NVIDIA uh, platforms, different modems, different cameras, um, which are all different you know, for every application, every vehicle type, um, and flexible on the operator side. So if you're you know, uh, remotely monitoring uh, and guiding a delivery robot, you may only be showing you know, three camera feeds to a remote operator. For a truck, it may be eight. So there's a lot of flexibility on the operator side as you know as each of our customers learn about their own uh, you know their own needs their own operating environments um, they're able to iterate you know even quickly on the design and so by doing that that's how we have this uh, you know big addressable market I think the other piece is that. Um, you know, when we, uh, as, as Elliot actually often says, you know, uh, if you want to know where autonomous vehicles are going to be deployed first, you know, talk to people whose uh, very li- you know, livelihoods depend on it. That's <laughs> us. Um, and what we've seen is that as we're solving, uh, you know, as we look at the market, we, we see where autonomy can be deployed first. Um, and we see that more as low speed, lightweight um, vehicles in public environments and more uh, logistics and industrial applications, so maybe heavier vehicles in more confined environments. And what we've seen is that as we've deployed our product in those uh, customer stacks, it's it's binary, the difference from not deployment to deployment. And you see autonomous vehicles go from um, you know, not yet actually fully productive and useful to actually useful and real and doing something in the world, which is what we all actually want and a real business case behind it. Totally. And also, yeah. one thing that's that's interesting, I think, Ed, since the last time uh, we were on the Atonicast, which I think was 2018, yeah. is really when we came out of stealth, teleoperation was kind of this still this dirty little secret right like my grandma still thought in 2018 that she could fall asleep in palo alto and wake up in new york and not have to touch you know the steering wheel anytime in between right 
now people are realizing that while autonomy and AI has progressed at a tremendous rate, it's not yet 100%, right? And it's a big problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but to solve, yeah. Yeah, completely. yeah, of course. I mean, this is a this is, you know, a life-changing thing when we crack the code and it's going to take some time, but I think, you know, at the start as Jordan mentioned, we were really the ones that were evangelizing the use of remote assistance or remote intervention. And now you see other companies. Now I've seen, you know, Waymo is talking more about, you know, their remote assistance setup. You have Aurora that just came out and is talking about teleassistance. And so it's becoming more, not only more of a mainstream thing, and that's not really the best way to say it because it was always a mainstream thing. Everyone always knew they needed it and were either working with us or building it in-house. But now it's this thing that can be talked about openly and discussed and even looked upon from, you know, average Joe citizen and regulators as something that's welcome. We're glad that there's this backup layer in place. Totally. No, I mean, like all this stuff that you're saying, um, you know, even beyond just the the driving, automating the driving task itself. One of the things that really hit me um, on my driverless Waymo ride was the extent to which like people just don't appreciate when you have no human in the loop of a customer experience specifically, like again, beyond the driving task. Um, that's a, that's a huge challenge, especially in the early days of this stuff. And so like when you get picked up by a driverless Waymo, um, like your first couple of rides, I'm not sure how many, um, they actually have a human call in, uh, to say, Hey, what's up? This is a driver's ride. It's all good. Like, you know, uh, let us know if you need anything. And I'm here if something goes wrong. Yeah. 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 So there's even, so that's fascinating that, 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 that human connection, obviously it has to be remote. They can't be in the vehicle. Um, but it's a it's a really fundamental part, not just of of uh, maturing, still maturing technology on the driving side, but really the customer experience too. Yeah, I mean, there there's an obvious point here that if you had two competing uh, services, right, and one when you entered into the car, a remote operator introduces themselves and says, you know, I'm here to help you in the event anything goes wrong, and the other it's just a black box, and you're sitting there silently. I would go for you know option one. Every single time. Absolutely. Right. Shai, you want to get on this? Yeah, I mean, I, just one more thing that I wanted to add, another perspective. That yeah, is, so uh, Shai, you're the, you're the CEO of yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Shai. I'm the CEO, founder of Fantomato. Really started this thing uh, three years ago. Elliot and Jordan are just great when they, you know, kind of talk about the company. So I love to hear them too. But yeah. I think, you know, one of the, and this is me coming from more of the engineering and product experience, right? Um, I think that... What we also figured out, uh, the end, really who's using our product, the teleoperation in this case, is the pilot operators, right? But if you think about the integration level with the autonomy stack, these are the engineers. And that same engineering group at every company, whether it's one of the top players or anyone, even startups, they're all really trying to solve the autonomy problem. Right. And then here comes this phantom company, you know, thinking about bringing back the human, you know, so what, what the hell are we supposed to do? Are we failing at our job? Right. So we, we figured that out. Um, and we developed, we asked the, the engineers, like, how would you want to work with us in what shape or form? And that's where we came up with this, um, SDK, which is, if people don't know, that's a software development kit, right? It's the ability for an engineer to work with a set of API calls, um, 
that to customize and, and build it into the system. So we partner up with engineering group, with developers, right? We, we, it's more like uh, the Twilio type of company where you work with a set of APIs rather than, oh, this is a product that is going to take over my work, right? And that, that is a big shift. And I think, you know, um, tail operation is now becoming, this is related to what Ailey just said, it's becoming more of that uh, uh, common understanding about we work together to achieve the goal of autonomy. We're not you know, replacing autonomy. We're not in a, you know, so we said before in the business of autonomy doesn't work, but that's, you know, that's not really the business. That's the goal of both of us working together to make it possible, to make it useful and possible, you know, soon, right? And, right. and, and actually at scale, right? So scale is another big issue. And a lot of, you know, companies thinking about engineers, oh, I solved it. Yes, you solved it on a few streets, you know, uh, but not really at scale. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and I think the um, the sort of, you know, weird shame around teleop that was, it was kind of, and to this day, there are still, I mean, like there are all kinds of terrible opinions about everything related to automated driving. It's just part of the world that we, we live in. And it's part of what we're trying to solve a little bit on the Autonicast in our way. Um, but like, you know, the, the argument that, that, Oh, you need this because your autonomy doesn't work is, is silly because, and, and I like that you guys have always been clear, especially early on, we don't do interventions, uh, mid-drive. Right. We're right? not doing intervention. And even more than that, we're taking 10 steps backwards now with this new product launch of the SDK. Yeah. Thinking about, uh, hey, you you know your vehicle best. You know what you need. We're going to be just a pipe of communication. It's an easier problem for us to focus on and solve. And right. it's much more digestible by the customer or partner to work with. And the engineering group are looking at it and are like, great, you know, we choose if we want to do path planning, tele-assist, you know, uh, uh, you know, any type of, of monitoring or supervision of the vehicle. And some of them also used to actually remote control, but we're not, you know, doing anything in that uh, kind to enable them, you know, just a communication, but only, you know, basically focus on communication, not on everything else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But also, Ed, to go back to your previous point, this is something that still to this day, uh, we have people who come to us and, and think that we are a solution or we're trying to offer a solution where, you know, you're driving 70 miles per hour down a country freeway and a deer jumps out and we can remote in in one millisecond and avert disaster. Right. And that's not the case. Right. right. All all um, autonomous vehicles have to have the ability to self-diagnose yep. when something goes wrong and yep. transition to a minimal risk condition. Yep. So we take over when the car is stopped. Right, right, exactly. Which is also like, you know, the trolley problem everyone talks about. It's like, well, yeah, it will go to a minimum risk and it will stop essentially as safely as possible. And that's the point at which you can then, you know, and and we've seen like companies have problems with with their cars kind of just getting stuck. Sure. uh, uh, some fairly notoriously. Yeah. Um, and, and when and when that car gets stuck, there's we're providing different options. Yes. Right. You exactly. can use the path planning. You could use remote driving. Right. You can do different things. But that, and that's fundamentally like super different than than sort of the Tesla autopilot thing, where you know you have to be sort of babysitting the system and ready for the human to jump in. And and like as we've seen, that doesn't even really work when there's someone in the car. Right. Unless sure. there's drive monitoring, some way to keep them really engaged in that. It's, sure. it's hard and, and to do it remotely. Like, yeah, of course not. Yeah. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. 
Hold up, let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. So I want to get back to the engineering piece because I think it's a really interesting evolution that you guys have made. Um, and and certainly like one of the things that, that I do hear um, is like, you know, uh, autonomy is such a complex problem, obviously, but also the systems are really so tightly integrated. It's like a lot of tightly integrated complexity. And the last thing you want is a piece that that doesn't give you flexibility, that reduces your flexibility, reduces exactly. your options. So this has allowed you also to move into sort of like the delivery robots and stuff you're doing at right, um, exactly. at Postmates. And I'm, I'm looking over here at what I think is a, it's a, a robot. Yeah. That, okay. So that's, that's a whole robot. Um, just describe what we're looking at here sure. and sort of how this this new approach has enabled this versus versus you know what you what you were doing before. Yeah, I think you know uh, w- what we're seeing in basically is is a minimal set of hardware. Uh, the hardware we use here in this bot uh, uh, example, we're talking about Nvidia Nano. This is a hundred bucks device. Our whole stack is running on top of it, and it doesn't actually require it. We can co-host our software stack with the autonomy compute. Right, which is a huge deal. Like if you think about it, you know, you buy sensors, you buy you know vendors, applications, and stuff. And the reason you want to do it in house is because you don't have more room, more more power, more computes, more you know another set of cameras. Right, so all of that is now out of the equation. You know, teleoperation is purely an SDK, a communication infrastructure for you to build your own stuff. I think Jordan here can explain more details about the actual bot and and what it's capable of and the, the browser integration of that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so uh, one of the things that I talked about earlier, again, it's been uh, for us, the focus has been, I'd say the forced focus as we've gotten into the market is on integrability on the vehicle side and flexibility on the operator side. So uh, as we work across delivery robots, cars, trucks, et cetera, um, each one has a different system design, different hardware, uh, different number of cameras, different types of compute. Um, and truly, when we you know made a big splash two years ago um, at CES 2018, we had everyone approaching us of, okay, I saw you do that for the car. Can you do this for this vehicle type, this vehicle type, this operating environment? Um, and so again, I say it's, uh, you know, it's forced, uh, uh, integrability on the vehicle side. Um, and that's kind of how we got to the SDK is, is again, by truly actually meeting customers where they were and, and, uh, and realizing that we, you know, for this to make sense for them, for their business case, we're not going to come with a bunch of you know, hardware requirements, right? That you, ha- you must have, you know, an extra computer or this type of camera or, you know, this type of modem. Um, and so what you see on this, this robot is, again, it's actually the same software that just drove you around the Vegas Strip um, is now is running here on this NVIDIA Nano. And it's using uh, different cameras than what you, uh, you know, saw in the car. And actually, it's fewer cameras because it's a delivery robot. Um, and also uh, much uh, cheaper, smaller 
smaller uh, modems as well um, and uh, that are fit for the delivery robot use case. Um, on the operator side, um, so that's kind of on the vehicle side, you know, we have to be integrable. On the operator side, it has to be flexible, right? So what you really need is that real-time video, um, you know, and, and sensor data and real-time telemetry. Um, and that's what we pipe through and show on the operator side. And what our customers do is they develop applications on top of the SDK or that interface with the SDK to present that that sensor information and telemetry, whatever fits for their application. So what you see on the screen here um, is, you know, a mock-up application for a delivery robot where we're showing, uh, you know, four video streams, um, information about uh, the uh, round-trip latency, some other vehicle information. Um, And as you can see, this one you can actually control by... Uh, pressing the the keypad buttons uh, over there, um, it's as, as Shai said. In terms of from an engineering standpoint, to change that control mechanism to a you know uh, to uh, a, a gaming controller is actually you know very simple. And if you're you know if you're working with a robot, uh, you may want to do that. Depending on your vehicle type, maybe you want to use a steering wheel. All of that sort of flexibility on the operator side is what the focus of the you know the product has been. Yeah. So I think you know generally to summarize, we moved from being an operation uh, solution, an operation product, right? Because you need to operate the vehicles on the road to an engineering solution. So our target, basically our customers, the people who actually use the product, you get a you know a bunch of pieces of code in the library. You don't get a full end-to-end product anymore. So engineers at, at all different companies, different size, different you know type of vehicles to and different use cases can take that same piece of software and connect it and build it to their needs. And obviously with support, we give you know best practices, consultation about how they want to do it. If, if some of them are still early phase of teleoperation, they don't really know what they want. Um, but the high level is, again, it's it's an engineering developer-friendly solution, and we don't even care how you use it. I mean, if you want to build a remote driving, do remote driving. If you don't, you don't. It's all up to you. And uh, this is really based on the learning that we had uh, from working with customers in the space. It was forced upon us to do it, which is great. You know, I uh, as, as a founder of the company, it's what I wanted to, to have and what I wanted to, you know, it's a certainty of that customers really telling you, you know, we need that flexibility. You're not, we're engineers giving to operation people what to do. We own our data. We own our infrastructure, you know, control centers, all of that. Phantom doesn't have a place there, and we totally agree. So now we're basically a SaaS software as a service company. We have a license, you know, that everyone can just kind of use, or or uh, they buy a bulk of licenses, and then it's very easy. You know, there's nothing complicated about it. Uh, you have a set of API calls and uh, requirements of hardware, and that's it. And one other, one other thing to add there, um, I think to really bring it to a head, what that also means is we actually have annual recurring revenue, which as a business guy is like, uh, that's the goal, right? Is find where autonomy can work now, where the product that can integrate and be flexible and, and enable that autonomy and actually make some real money off of it uh, yeah. because our customers make money. Are happy now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and, and this is a, a rare thing in the space. I think this is yeah. why investment, get, you know, raising rounds and stuff has gotten a lot harder is because, I mean, development is great. Engineers love it, right? It's fun. It's cool. You're doing new stuff and, and pushing the boundaries and all that. But um, development deals, like if that's your business, it's just doing de- development deals, right. like that's not recurring revenue. So it's, a, it's something that will only last so long. Um, and, and so it sounds like, you know, you guys are actually making that leap you're not sitting around waiting for for AVs or, or having to come up with you know you know pivot to ADAS or you know something like that that a lot of other companies are having to do. You're actually getting uh, recurring revenue now. 
Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to go back quickly to what we were saying before about, you know, when we first came out, Telop being kind of a dirty little secret, because I think something interesting happened actually on the Atonicast when you were interviewing our good friend Ali from uh, Postmates X. Yes. And basically, I think, Ed, it was you that asked, you know, we understand, you know, you're working with Phantom Auto. Obviously, that was public before he went on the podcast. And is that kind of an admission um, that AI is not going to be able to solve all of your challenges? And we thought that Ali's answer was fantastic, which is that's the strategy, not an admission. Right. And I think the bigger, you know, if you extrapolate that out, you when you are actually deploying autonomy, this is part of what you need, right? You can't just have robots running around everywhere and you have no eyes or ability to intervene, especially if no one's in the vehicle. And so he said that in the context of delivery robots specifically. I think on the sidewalk specifically too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think you can uh, extrapolate that out to anything that's being deployed today. And we've seen that, as I mentioned before, with other companies coming out touting this ability as well. Yeah, well, and and even beyond... um automated driving at all. I mean, it sounds like you, you mentioned a customer um, earlier where they're essentially using your, your product. Um, it seems like to, to uh, avoid high local labor costs. I mean, they're not really necessarily even doing automated driving. Is that right? Yeah. You just so describe that. Uh, you don't obviously don't name the customer. If yeah, you want, yeah, but, yeah. No, but, of course. So we have um, customers that are in the logistics space and they're working in more confined environments. So forklifts inside a warehouse, yard trucks around a distribution center, tugs, carts, etc. And we have one customer that's doing fully teleoperated forklifts. And they're doing this in a way where uh, they've set up a labor arbitrage. So the I won't give away the locations because I don't want to identify the customer, but they have the actual remote operators sitting about 2,000 miles away from the warehouse. And that's how they are, you know, making the business case pencil. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's... It, something else? Yeah, good. There is the evolution, right, of, of autonomy. And uh, we have to look very carefully at where autonomy works today, right? So if you think about the places where you see fully automated, you know, robots or anything that moves, Right. Where is this, right? Where, where, where is the market? I mean, I mean, you, you probably know too, right? So there's maybe some mining application that you have some autonomy, and then you have the warehouses, right? You see these um, a bunch of vehicles like Roombas, right? Basically like Amazon Kivas and all these uh, small sh- shaped carts that moving around the warehouse. And the reason these are the places that autonomy is deployed, in my opinion, again, is because the size and the speed of these vehicles is is small. Right. So, and it's in a closed, confined environment, especially. Right. So, all this stuff to, to combine enable deployment. Right. So, this in in today's world, sure. This is the big business center. Actually, multi, you know, hundred millions of acquisitions in this field. There's you know big players there. All the retail needs that. And when you look at um, where you know, like if you think about the next thing, so are we going from a, a small Roomba in a warehouse to a car on the road, you know, with passengers? Like that, that's a huge leap, you know, that's going to take some really, and, and that's what we're finding out now, right? right, right. Everybody realizes it suddenly. And, and you know, we looking at this evolution and saying, you know what, we're not saying who's going to work and when. Obviously, we're going to work with all these companies using that SDK product. But if you want to predict what's going to happen next, it's probably the small size vehicles going outside of the warehouse to the roads, right? 
And they're taking this, you know, same size, same speed approach into other areas. And inside the warehouse, bigger size vehicles, which is the forklifts, right? So our number one most successful, where we generate most money right now, is the delivery bots. And second is the forklifts, right? And this is how it all kind of connected because deployments happen there. Right? Yeah, yeah. And in the long term, we aim on ride sharing and all these, you know, with the SDK approach as well, as it's going to get there, you know, it's going to take some time. Yeah. No, it's funny. This is my, this is my third CES. And uh, so the, the very first one was 2018 when you guys did make quite a splash. Um, and it's really been uh, amazing to just see how you guys have, have uh, grown and, and um, adapted some, but also just kind of ended up in like, like just the perfect spot for, for this moment. So um, congrats on all the, on all the success. And uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining the Autonicast. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate that. Thanks to Phantom Auto for taking the time to speak with me uh, at CES this year. This was a, a fascinating conversation for me. I certainly learned a lot. I hope you did too. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again next time on another episode of the Autonicast. Cast.